0: Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence Fixed Income Credit Currency and Commodity Strategists and Analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC Research
1: Team. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to this month's Emerging Market Lens and Look Through Podcast. I am your host, Damien Sassauer. And today we are joined by Dr. Wynn Thin, Global Head of FX Strategy at Brown Brothers Harriman. A real privilege to have you here, Wynn. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Uh,
0: actually, Damon, the, the honor is mine. It's always a really a pleasure to, to appear on the show. Um, <laughs> and looking forward to a, a deep dive into some interesting topics.
1: <laughs> you are too kind, but uh, but you're right, I am fabulous. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, let's crack into it. I mean, we um, look, we have many comparing the current environment, Wynn, to, to that of the stagflationary 70s. So my question for you, just to kick things off, is where on earth do we think inflation goes from here, and at what point do we think this disinflationary trend might very well begin to decelerate? Is this say a Q one, a Q two event? I mean, what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, Damon, this is uh, you know, sort of the, the driving force between so many across so many markets right now. I think the biggest difference between now and the '70s uh, is that the Fed, once they start tightening, has has remain resolute in its tightening. If you if you go back, this is ancient history. If you go back to what we saw back in the 70s, uh, the Fed tightened first uh, under, I believe, uh, uh, Arthur Burns. And then when he thought, oh, inflation's starting to go down, they they started cutting again uh, and and totally reversing. And it was up to Volcker to come in years later and really slam on the brake. So to me, I think the Fed has learned the lessons that you they have to squeeze inflation out totally. They, they cannot pivot too soon. Again, uh, you know, we learn from history. We learn from other people's mistakes, and the Fed is, is sees exactly uh, what not to do, and that's why I think the Fed has been so um, sort of very consistent in messaging. Uh, they keep bringing up Volker. They keep talking about no pivot. We're keeping rates high uh, for longer, uh, and that's that's I think that's what's really freaking out markets. And but unfortunately, it's a message I think that's the right message at this point. Uh, when is inflation decided? Well, we're starting to see signs that it's, it's topping out, but I've always said that it's, the easy part is getting inflation from eight percent down to four percent. The hard part is getting inflation down from four percent back to two percent and that's i think the real real tricky part where i think markets have to wait and see
1: how things uh pan out but that, that's the, the fed has got its work cut out for them so do you think the fed can actually engineer a soft landing or has that ship sailed i mean what what what's the risk that you know the fed basically plunges this economy into a recession yeah i mean obviously
0: they, I mean, that's that's the biggest risk um you know back when the yield curve the three months to 10 year was around 225 basis points that was back so recently is May and June. Uh, I was pretty much poo-pooing the idea of, a, of a, a recession, but that yield curve has flattened very, very uh, quickly and aggressively. We're down somewhere between 25, 30 basis points um, for that curve. I know some look at the two to 10 year, but the, the, the Fed studies have shown that three months to 10 years the, is really the, 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 the best signal. Yeah. So look, we're, we're right on that cusp. You know, we, couldn't, you know, we know the Fed's tightened. That's going to push the short end up. So there's a risk that, that, we, that it inverts. There's no doubt about it. And then we we're looking at recession over the next 12 months. Uh, I'm not, you know, for me, I, I guess I, my, my only call right now is I'm, I'm pretty confident that we're not going to get into recession over the next 12 months. But once that yield curve inverts, then, you know, all bets are off. Uh, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Obviously, the odds are against the Fed. But, um, you know, the, what, to me, what's interesting is that the officials are saying, well, look, if we go into recession, it's not, well, that's not what we want. But if, it, if we go into recession, sort of so be it. That, that's the price we have to pay um, for squeezing inflation out. And that's I think that's the, the scary message that I think that the equity markets
1: are, are, are finally getting. So then I guess, you know, the question I have, I mean, look, things have changed quite a bit since Jackson Hall. I mean, and the markets are now operating as if the Fed put is dead. I mean, my question, or I guess the question that I have is, what would it take for the Fed to step back into the market to backstop asset prices? I mean, is there a level or or on, on equities or maybe even credit spreads where you think the Fed actually blinks?
0: Well, Damon, I, mean, I think that's, you know, the, the asset market always goes under what I would call the Fed's third unofficial mandate, right? You know, we know they have a, a dual mandate for full employment and price stability, but they have an unofficial third mandate to maintain financial stability. Um, and obviously, you know, for instance, during the great financial crisis, they had to act to, to address that during the pandemic. Uh, they were also fears about a, a financial crisis. But, you know, I think the bar is very, very high. Again, the, right now, you know, you look, think about the Fed's reaction function. Right now, it's, it's heavily weighted towards inflation. We're at full employment. Um, you know, obviously, if, if unemployment starts to, to rise um, significantly, then we have to rethink that. But right now, the reaction function is, is totally focused, I believe, on inflation. Um, you know, it, Mr. Cash uh, was has really transformed into from uh, uber to Uber-Hawk. Uh, yeah. I think he, he pretty much uh, crystallized it yesterday. He said, look, he was happy with, with the equity market reaction um, to the uh, Jackson Hole speech. He said the Fed was unhappy with the... The market's take on the July uh, FOMC, and, and we've seen that in, the, in the communications. Um, so in the old days, you know, used to, you know, we talk about Greenspan was they called him the maestro because he's able to, you know, pump up asset markets. And that, we're in a we in a totally different um, backdrop now. if if, the, if equities rise after a Fed decision or a policy making uh, statement, that's that's a mistake, right? The Fed it really they recognize that their policy stance is, is not conducive to risk in equity markets. Um, As equity markets go up, that that actually loosens financial conditions. So that's the exact opposite of what the Fed wants.
1: Well, you know, Wynn, I mean, mean, let's tear up the script here. I mean, we talk about that Fed put, but I mean, we also have the Fed unwinding its balance sheet, right? So, you know we remember September 2019 all too well, you know, would a drop in bank reserves feel another disruptive spike in repo rates? I mean, you know, what are your thoughts on global money supply here? I mean, should we be concerned that, you know, the plumbing, you know, might break again? And is that enough to make the Fed blink?
0: Yeah, I know. Uh, I know there's a paper presented at Jackson Hole that, that sort of called in the question, the, the efficacy of QE and the risks of QT. Um, look, there's so many moving parts. Um, we know that we had trouble with uh the you know, plumbing so-called plumbing when when feds balance sheets got down to around four trillion give or take right that was back as you pointed out back in fall of 2019 um but you know we're right now at eight eight trillion plus yeah so i think we have got a bit of a runoff if we have to worry about it we're, you know at this at the, at the current pace of the you know the the new pace of sort of 90 uh, billion per month of runoff that's about a trillion you know 1.1 trillion uh, uh, a year so I'd say we have a good year or two before we really test the limits. And I know the Fed is is, is totally cognizant of this. They'll be monitoring uh, the the performance of money markets, et cetera, um, as as the balance sheet uh, really shrinks. But, uh, you know, I think that's really, to me, a 2023-2024 story. But certainly something to keep an eye on. The one thing I would just add about quantitative tightening, the one thing that is important, is look, we know that quantitative easing is meant to push down long-term rates, riskier rates. And we saw that but we're seeing the opposite now right in qt we've got to see uh you know i i think a, a rise uh, increase in spreads and credit spreads and we're already seeing that i think we're seeing some of the high yield and and uh, mb spreads starting to widen out again as as qt really starts to bite so uh that's another reason i, I remain negative on on emerging markets
1: well look i mean you, you you know let's let's shift over to emerging markets here i mean we we, we... Yeah. Emerging market central banks, unlike other cycles, are well ahead of the curve. I mean, they're, they've, they've gotten in front of the Fed here. I mean, policy rates are now well above pre-pandemic levels. And what it's doing is it's actually impacting July activity data, right? We saw the data out of China. We saw the data out of Brazil. I mean, the negative impact of restrictive conditions is having its impact and so my question for you is is it, is it too early to begin thinking about receiving in the front end of some of these local rate markets and if so or if not rather you know which ones actually offer the best risk reward from a receiver perspective yeah David, i think that's a, a real you
0: know great question for the you know for the fixed income guys out there i mean it's it's that's the big debate and you know obviously you know we've been focused on the debate about the fed when's the fed pivot yeah. um but you know it's a, it's a question that's that's true for all these emerging markets uh, look, I think that the, the the tendency would be to say, okay, some of these, the most aggressive and the earliest ones are likely to to, to cut first. And I think that's you know, sort of, you know, common sense. And Brazil stands out, uh, and really most of Latin America, right? Um, yeah, But I, I don't think it's going to happen overnight. I think we're going to have, you know, a, f- a few months. I don't think, for instance, uh, I think, you know, all these swaps markets, you know, for most countries are really pricing in pivots that are way too fast. It's almost like, the hike rates, and then a month or two later, they're going to cut rates. I just don't think <laughs> that's going to happen. I yeah. think we're going to have plenty of time to, uh, to load up on receivers. It's not going to all of a sudden be you know, uh, a, a quick U-turn. So, again, you know, I think uh, Brazil, Chile, um, uh, some of the other LATAMs are, are at or near the, the end of the Titan cycle. I just don't see a quick pivot. Um, but I, you know, it's, it's, it's really tricky. It, 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 there's so many moving parts um we have to keep an eye on the inflation numbers see if they're sticky as they as they they may be here in the in the in the developed world
1: i mean t- t- and then there's obviously the ce4 i mean there's poland there's czech there's hungary i mean there's asia i mean look let's be clear but the bank of indonesia finally finally capitulated last week joining the list of emerging market central banks that are tightening monetary policy yet you know when compared to other regions you know inflationary inflationary pressures in they just appear to be far more muted in asia so my question for you is what are the fundamental forces driving that? You know, are Asian central banks better positioned to fight inflation than their peers in Latin America or the EMEA region? Uh, it's a, uh, it's a, an issue that
0: uh, has been brought up many times. And to me, the short answer to me is that uh, many of the prices in, uh, across Asia, and this is true in, in, in uh, really across the emerging markets as well, but really mostly in, in emerging Asia, uh, a lot of the prices are administered. That is, the amount of uh, government-controlled prices. Subsidies, yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. So, And that's interesting you mentioned Indonesia because they hiked just a week or two after um, um, the president warned that yeah. uh, the the fiscal uh, backdrop was worsening because of the subsidies. So in a sense, in, Bank Indonesia, I think, is, is sort of front-running this expected cut in some of these uh, subsidies and some rise, uh, increases in the administered prices. So that's the thing. If you If you sort of tamp down artificially on prices uh with price controls and caps well those kind of uh, sort of uh excesses and and imbalances will show up elsewhere it's showing up in fiscal data um so to me i think the thing we have to really watch out especially in emerging markets is, is let's look at the twin deficits that's something that i think that's going to be really important how do they how are these how are these countries going to finance you know uh, expanding current account and budget deficits uh at a time when you know monetary conditions are tightening around the world that that's really you know, I think why a lot of these weaker countries are, are coming under so much pressure. Um, anyway, long story is long answer to to where I, I believe that, it's, that that sort of administrative prices allowed the central banks in Asia uh, to be much, much less aggressive. But again, it comes out of fiscal costs and you know, we may see a little bit of a catch up here uh, in the coming, uh, coming
1: months. Well, we can't talk about Asia without focusing on China. Right. And we saw that. Horrifically weak activity and credit data just earlier this month, and you know it forced the PBOC to cut its one-year and five-year mediums from lending facilities. I mean, my question for you is, you know, we now have dollar yuan making a run at the psychological seven handle. You know, what is going on in China, and what can Beijing do to get the economy back on track?
0: Like, I think one of the biggest surprises uh, this year has been how much China has slowed. I think the surprise is because in the past, and you know, we've seen this, you know, I've seen this time and time again, that the economy starts to slow, the, uh, the PBOC and the finance ministry just basically step on the gas, right? They start pumping out liquidity, encouraging loans, infrastructure spending, et cetera. And we haven't seen it this year. We, we've seen a much uh, more muted policy response. Um, uh, you know, as you mentioned, the, the PBOC recently cut rates, but, you know, 10 basis points here and there is kind of pushing on a string. Uh, they did just announce a one trillion stimulus plan, but again, it's focused on infrastructure and many of the same areas that are, are really the, the, sort of the root of this problem. The property sector uh, bubble is, is really, you know, I think weighing on the outlook for China. So I think that you know, I think Asia, especially emerging Asia and Latin America, the commodity exporters, have to really cope with with a China that's not, you know, growing five, six, seven percent. You know, we're lucky yeah. if they grow three percent, and if not lower, you know, there's, there's a, you know, which is really moving into recessionary territory. So You know, my base case is always that China muddles through, uh, and I think that's the case this time. But, you know, again, the the growth outlook remains very, very poor. So, again, it's going to have a spillover effect. Now, I will admit, Damon, that I'm probably the most worried about China uh, that I've been in in decades in terms of sort of financial stability, uh, banking sector, et cetera, et cetera. Again, I think muddle through is the base case. But, you know, if I had to lean one way or the other, it's that, you know, the risks are are more bad news than, than good news.
1: Well, well, I mean, for our, for our listeners out there, you know, Wynn and I offline were just talking about this. And for me, I think, you know, the slowdown in China has a lot to – is really uh, directly impacting what we're seeing in currency markets, specifically dollar strength, which is just crushing everything in its path and and most notably non-dollar debt markets, right, that comprise over 50 percent of the $62 trillion universe for benchmark eligible debt. When, you know, what will it take – to knock king dollar off its throne? Will it be, you know, a recovery in China, you know, an end to COVID zero? You know, what's it going to take?
0: Yeah, I get that. Again, that's another question I get a lot from
1: clients. (laughs) Loaded question, sorry. Um,
0: You know, the thing with currency markets is that, you know, no matter how you feel about the U.S. and and what's going on, you know, you you always have to ask, what's the other side of the trade, right? Well, you can be negative on the dollar, but where are you positive, right? And, obviously, Europe is, is a mess right now. The energy crisis is, you know, we're not even in, in the fall, in the cold months yet. And we know that's, that's going to come up and bite. We know the UK is facing a similar dire situation. Uh, they're already, you know, a lot of these countries are already in recession. Um, so, you know, for now, the dollar, despite all this you know, uncertain about the U.S. outlook, recession, you know, I think it's pretty clear. I think the markets are speaking, you know, for us that, that the outlook for the U.S. remains relatively uh, better than, than many other places, most other places around the world. Uh, and that, that's being manifested uh, in, in the dollar, strong dollar. Now, what's to me interesting is that, you know, we've had, we, we look at the rates markets, the, the, the BOE and ECB tighten expectations have ramped up significantly over the last couple of weeks, but, and yet the, the Euro and Sterling are, are still plumbing new lows. So that's where it kind of falls apart is like, you know, rates, the rate story, the, the interest rate differential story, you know, works a lot of the time in FX um, when, Countries are growing strongly and they need to the hike rates to sort of bring inflation. But but that attractiveness really falls out when when countries are in recession. All of a sudden you're saying, well, OK, I'm getting it paid to hold, um, you know, assets in higher yielding countries. But, you know, they're going in recession. They're, as you point out, there's there's risks of of, you know, of debt payments, et cetera. Um, so it, it's really tricky. Um, I would say the one thing is that, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of central banks and policymakers lean against the wind. Uh, you know, we know Chile has been intervening aggressively. They just got a flexible credit line from the IMF. So, you know, they can lean against the wind and prevent currency um, losses from getting out of hand. But it is really just leaning against the wind. Uh, you know, we're seeing um, similar stances from China. Uh, you know, but again, all, it, it's 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 problematic for debt issuance, for debt issuers who, who have to make uh, external de- debt payments. Um, and, you know, at some point you have to ask yourself, well, are, there, are the countries, are there, the sovereigns are coming to backstop? And I think for some of the stronger credits, we'll see that. Um, but some of the weaker credits in the EM are already suffering. And it's, I, I don't see any end in sight at this point.
1: So effectively, you know that that sentiment shifts from a carry approach to currencies to more of a value oriented approach as you mentioned earlier, right, where fundamentals once again matter where people are looking at deficits, where they're looking at the fiscus and And so, I agree with you. I mean, as we move into a recession, I think a value oriented approach is warranted when you're when you're when you're looking at where to position across the currency spectrum. I mean before I let you go, I have to ask this, right I mean emerging market public debt has surged to 66% of GDP from just 54% back in 2019, only three years back, you know, rising interest rates, weaker currencies, below-trend GDP, I mean, they're making, you know, these debt obligations harder to service. I'm wondering if you could just talk to me and our audience about some of the social turmoil we're witnessing in frontier nations such as Sri Lanka, Pakistan, Tunisia, et cetera. I mean, do you think this is the start of a broader trend of, uh, of financial and political crises across the EM complex?
0: That's a great, a great question, uh, you know, the, the, One of the reasons that we saw this such a big rise in, in the debt to GDP is that you know, these, a lot of these countries are taking advantage of, of zero interest rates and investor appetite. And so, in a sense, they were sort of issuing rate right when they probably shouldn't have, right? And a lot of countries that probably shouldn't have been bringing market debt at such uh, attractive levels are, are really suffering now. You know, Again, you know, when everyone's undertaking QE, all, you know, all developed markets at, at zero rates you know, everything gets pushed out the risk curve, and that's all hunky dory until uh, it we get to the other side. We're where we are, and that's where we're in right now. We're seeing global tightening, you know, not just DM but EM, and we're just seeing such a, a scramble for scarcer and scarcer dollars. So that is the problem. Um, do I think um, I, I hesitate to, to use the word contagion? Because that to me kind of suggests that it's sort of an irrational sort of um, you know move through a lot of you know what could be considered stronger credits that's just, you know, it's rush for the exit of panic. I don't think we're seeing that. What I think we're seeing manifest is just simply that those really weak credits that were taking advantage of, of low interest rates and, and abundant liquidity are really just paying the, paying the piper now. Uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, I heard, I think Egypt is coming under pressure. Nigeria yep. is having trouble. You know, there, there really is a, a shortage of, of, of hard currency of dollars and especially in these uh, frontier markets, you know, a, a lot of the times, a lot of these frontier markets, we need to continue sort of continued investor inflows of, of uh, from foreigners to sort of sustain their external imbalances. And, and we're just not seeing that now. Uh, the good news is the IMF is there. Uh, you know, some of these countries have already approached the IMF. Uh, and, you know, I think the IMF will be, you know, as we saw back during the, grand, uh, the Eurozone crisis, the great financial crisis, the, the EM, IMF is open for business not just for EM, but for DM. Uh, and, you know, I think that we, the stronger credits, you know, we mentioned earlier, Chile has got a fixed flexible credit line. That's only given to countries that, that meet certain criteria of having strong fundamentals. Um, but, you know, regardless, there's going to be, uh, I, I believe, um, uh, a need for multilaterals to, to, to really step it up and help some of these weaker credits. And, you know, it, it's gonna be painful. We know that, we know the, the IMF prescription um, but, you know, again, it, it's a sense that, you know, I think a lot of these countries were were living beyond the means, that they're just taking uh, advantage of, of conditions that were really, that really may maybe should not have um, um, been offered. Uh, it, it's, you know, I don't, I don't take any satisfaction in saying this. I, I just, you know, I think I'm just, I think that it's, it's you know, we'll, these countries will survive. You know, it's just another cycle. But they are always painful. Um, these downturn cycles, you know, Damon, you know, you, know, you and I, any long-term uh, emerging market uh, investors, you know, you know, that these, are, these cycles just repeat themselves. And, you know, there's every now and then you'll get the, 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 the thesis that, oh, we're, we're beyond these boom and busts. And that, that's unfortunately not true. We, we, the business cycle remains alive. The, the interest rate cycles remain alive and well. And, and as a result, all these sort of um, cycles, boom and busts, uh, you know, remain in play uh, <laughs> for what it's worth. And, you know, it, it creates opportunities uh, as well as pain.
1: I have this vision of Kristalina Georgieva riding a white uh, horse to the rescue. <laughs> now, look, we, we, when you know this, I mean, you, you never fight the IMF. It's kind of like you never fight the Fed and EM, you never fight the IMF. Well, listen, I, I thank you so very much, when, for sharing your thoughts and your views with us here today. And thank you to our audience of ever enduring, always committed EM enthusiasts for your time and your continued interest. Keep well, stay safe and keep moving forward.